beautiful humans. Welcome to another episode of Role Models, Juicy Conversations with Beautiful Humans. I'm Jennifer Norman, founder of the Human Beauty Movement and your host. This podcast thrives on your support. So if you like what you hear, follow us, rate us, review us, and share this episode with everyone you know across your networks. So everybody get ready to be inspired. My guest today is Tim Mason. Tim was born in Moscow with no legs and one arm, and he finds that humor is the best way to live his life. He shatters myths and defies all the stereotypes about living with disability. In fact, I'd say that Tim is thriving in his independence because he's learned to lean into joy. Welcome, Tim. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness, I am just loving that smile. You just light the room up. Thank you. (laughs) So it's probably the understatement of the century to say that the start of your life was not very easy. So can you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So for those that don't know, I actually just shared my story recently on my public platforms, but I've always been pretty discreet about it. Not in the sense of I'm hiding anything, but it's been very important to me. So I was initially born in Moscow, Russia, and I was born a triple amputee and my mother had given me up for adoption. And I think that that in the time I was born 1997 they didn't have the equipment to be able to see in the womb and stuff like that so I think I was a total surprise so when I came out you know with my birth defects it was I assumed to be a shock to my biological mother so she gave me up for adoption and the only thing that she left with me was a paper that said she didn't want to raise a monster and hearing that as a kid I was like what like I've never considered myself a monster but I think the more that I grew up and not that I you know get what she meant by that because I absolutely don't but I do think that I understand her position and every day I'm actually grateful for her choice because I think it brought me here and it gave me the life that I have the freedom to be independent and independence is something I really treasure so growing up I was adopted by my adopted mom at the age of two years and nine months and from then on I like to say that's when my life began because I did not talk at all in the orphanage. I really had no affect. I was just, you know, there. And when I met my mom and she said, as soon as I got on the plane, that's when I started like talking and everything like that. And she had initially found me on a website and she had said that she was with her friend and her friend said, oh my God, that boy is an angel. You have to go visit him. So she got on a plane, came and visited me, she and my dad, and they found he was like amazing and stuff like that. And then she was in a room with an orphanage director and the orphanage director was going on about how this poor boy would live no life, have no quality of life and, you know, dependent on everyone and just sad and really have no value of life. And I, she looked over at me and I was making fish faces at her. So I was going (laughs) like with my lips and imitating the orphanage director. And she said in that moment, she knew that there was so much more to me. Mm -hmm. So she got me on a plane. And like I said, I think that's like, when my life started. And so I had a pretty normal childhood. I think growing up, I really never felt like I missed out on any opportunities. Hopping around the playground, I had a bunch of friends. I was on a kickball team. I used my hands to kick the ball and just a bunch of stuff. I think, you know, unfortunately, as 
they progress, that's when you kind of see, when you get older, you do see the disability stereotypes and factors of ableism. But I think growing up, I did not at first. Wow. I love how I had listened to one of your videos and you said, well, I was born half baked, but still delicious. And I, <laughs> sorry, just since you're drinking <laughs> some water. No, don't worry. <laughs> No, I thought that that was hilarious. But I mean, you definitely do have that sense of humor about things, which is amazing. And hearing about your story, what you said is exactly right. If your mom didn't have the capacity to be able to raise someone that she wasn't able to understand or feel that she could give the kind of love that you deserved, then I think that she did give you a gift in some sort of way. Of course, it was hard to comprehend the manner in which she did it understandably, that could be extremely hurtful for anybody to hear. But in thinking about the new life that you were afforded afterwards, in coming into a family that absolutely wanted you, absolutely loved you, and gave you all these opportunities for you to feel as special and as loved and as joyful as you can. Amen to that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I look at it as like a gift because I truly think that I try, a lot of people have thought, asked me what it would be like if I was still in Russia and grew up there. And I honestly, you know, I obviously don't know the climate there right now, but I can confidently say it would be nowhere to where my life is right now and that I wouldn't have the freedom, you know, to be me. And that's something, like I said, I cherish. And you said that you believe that your mom was exposed to radiation. Your biological mom was exposed to radiation, most likely from Chernobyl. And there were statistics that something like 600,000 children were born having defects as a result of that nuclear exposure. I'm just so overwhelmed by the way that you have blossomed from the understanding that you had this beginning, knowing that you weren't alone, perhaps was also maybe some sort of respite, some sort of help and understanding, wow, there were a lot of children that really had it hard, a lot of families that did suffer some consequences that they didn't expect because of an accident that was not necessarily handled in the best way. But you were able to actually come to a complete different place from that. And that's pretty extraordinary. That is the stuff of miracles, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even hearing that story when I was growing up, because that's what the orphanage directors told my mom. And just hearing that, I was like, wow, I mean, that's crazy. And, you know, I looked up the statistics, and I've done papers about it. And it was just a huge event. And, you know, the radiation still there. It's insane how impactful something like that was. Yeah, I've known people that have gone back and done tours of the actual facility, they have to wear the, you know, the, the gear to make sure that they don't have any radiation issues when they go there. But I think about this almost as this massive metaphor, thinking about a toxic environment. Now that is probably as toxic as anything on earth can get. And yeah. that radiation did spill in to a lot of people's cells. And for generations, there's going to be an impact because of that. And here is a situation where I think that a lot of people get themselves into not necessarily physically toxic, toxic environments such as your your mom did and all of those people that were so close to Chernobyl, but in having emotional toxicity in their lives and they feel that there's something wrong with them. They feel that they're handicapped in some way because of the emotional toxicity that they've been exposed to, knowing that there is a different way. There's a different way of living. There's a different mindset that we can get ourselves into. There's a different path that we can all take, but it really does start from understanding it's not necessarily you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect the way that you are. And let's just really think about
about all of those things that make us special and unique and look at all the people's lives that you've been able to touch with your story. Yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good point. It really is. It's so true. And I think one of the things a lot of people ask me about being disabled is how I'm limited. And I think when I think about limitations, I don't think of just strictly disabilities. I think about anything in life that hinders us because life is hard. It's difficult. And, you know, whether it's a physical obstacle that's thrown at you, a mental and emotional one, anything can come at you and it can be rough. So I like to say, you know, it's not just physical disabilities that can hinder or stop you. It's literally anything. And I think it's like how you overcome that. That's important. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And so you were saying that growing up, you had friends, you were playing on the playground, things were pretty happy. And certainly, I think that there are people that are just going to not be understanding or want to maybe put other people down. And a lot of that is stemming from their own issues with themselves. If they feel that they need to bully somebody else, they're probably bullying themselves even a hundredfold. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it, you know, growing up, actually, it was actually interesting. As a kid, I never had was really ever bullied by my students, like, you know, in third grade, for example, but I mostly saw it was adults that were nervous about a kid with disabilities, you know, like I found that their mothers would like, if a kid asked me what was wrong with me, you know, their mothers would be like, hush, don't ask that, you know, and they'd be scared and nervous and stuff like that. And I think I really realized I was like, you know, it's not the kids where this gets in stilled. It's the grownups where, you know, these adults don't know how to interact with people with disabilities or ask questions because it's considered bullying or it's considered crossing a boundary and stuff like that. And then it ends up getting stolen kids. You're exactly right. And I have a very similar situation in that my son is disabled. He is nonverbal, nonmobile, and he lives on life supportees on a ventilator with extra oxygen. And when he was little, I remember bringing him to a park or to a playground and the kids would stare or they would come up and be like, what's wrong with him? And the parents would be mortified. The parents would be like, you know, they didn't want the child to be rude. And so they would quickly pull them away, which led to all sorts of awkwardness. But I would say, you know, it's okay. Come on, you know, because it's important for kids to interact and get it and understand it and figure it out. And once you get past that fear of, oh, somebody's different and you understand, then that breaks down walls and those barriers and helps to let that love come through. So as a result of this happening time and time again, we decided to write some books about it. We decided to write kids books, which are called The Adventures of Super Captain Brave Man, where it's this child who's a protagonist in a wheelchair, and he helps other kids to learn about different kinds of disabilities. And this is a way for parents and educators to bond with children and to help teach them these lessons that are otherwise really difficult to do on your own. Mm -hmm. And you can bedtime, story time in the classroom. And it's just a really good way for kids to ask, you know, safe questions about conditions and to know what to do and what to say and how to act afterwards. Wow, that's amazing. I wish I had that book growing up because it would have helped in a lot of situations. (laughs) I'll send you some. You can keep them for (laughs) that come and visit you for sure. (laughs) Now, I know that on your social media, you've got some amazing videos where you're working out. You mentioned you're doing it to get healthier. What does a workout with Timmy look like? 
So a workout with Timmy looks like definitely not organized or have any structure. It's just truly what I'm feeling I'm capable of that day. I think, you know, we all have to give ourselves credit for a tough day. But I think as long as you get through the gym doors, you know, or even get dressed and get ready to go to the gym, that's the first step. So working out has actually been a new journey for me this year. Last year, I struggled a lot with my weight and I got to a point where I was about 178 pounds. And for a person with no legs and a missing right arm in a wheelchair, that's not good. You know, moving and breathing was just overall difficult. And when I was a kid, I could effortlessly, you know, do a lap with my hand just hopping around. And so that got really difficult. So I said, okay, you know what? I got to figure out how I can get some movement because being constrained in a wheelchair is, you know, you don't get the movement that a normal able-bodied person would normally get. So I started the gym workouts and it normally regular routine where I'm being absolutely perfect is about 10 to 15 minutes on the treadmill and then I do some weights where I pull down and then work on my biceps and curls and then I end with push-ups and doing my back so I found that that has been a huge transformative journey for me as far as like being able to move and finding that not only does it help me physically but it mentally it's helped me so much it's become such a great de-stressor if I've had a really hard day I hop on that treadmill and I waddle away all my, you know, (laughs) stress of the day. I listen to my playlist and I'm reset. Yeah, get those endorphins up. Definitely. Wow. So do you have any items that you use to help make working out any easier or more accessible? Yeah, so I definitely do. I think it's, you know, as a disabled person, well, in general, walking to a gym is super intimidating. You know, you see all this heavy equipment, you see these fit people knowing what they're doing. And you're like, what do I do? So when I first went into my gym, I was like, oh my gosh, I felt so overwhelmed. But I actually found that for me, it was a lot more adaptive than I thought. I parked my wheelchair right up to my treadmill, hop on it, and I put on a safety clip. As far as like the weights and stuff, sometimes I'll tie like a rope. If it's too far up, I'll tie a rope to pull it down more. And I have gotten some personal pieces as far as like weights that are a bit smaller and single-handed that I can use, and as well as a crunch roller that you can use with one hand. So it's really about, I think, just like figuring out what works for you and how you can adapt to that situation. I'm curious how accessibility has been for you through the journey of your life. Have you noticed anything improving as far as the way things are designed or even places that you go where they're a bit more accommodating these days versus before? Yeah, I definitely have noticed. I think now with the regulations and everything, you know, new buildings and anything really has to be considered. So I think as far as that accommodations, it's been accessibility, it's been really good. I think the more I visit older places and things that haven't had that structural change is very difficult. I have found that, you know, I've had a lot of hindrances getting into buildings, doing job hunts and stuff. Some offices were just not up to par with the structure for accessibility. And unfortunately, it's kind of a free pass because it was made before the ADA was impacted and stuff like that. So I think in that sense, yes, it's been difficult, but overall, it's been pretty achievable. I wouldn't say it's been too much of a stress. I think there is every moment now and then where I kind of forget and then I realize I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a wheelchair and this is going to be difficult. Mm. 
Now, you also, you're very similar to me in that you actually do cleaning in order to help improve your mood. I find it really cathartic. It's very rare that I have a cleaning person come to my house. I usually have done it all myself. And even, you know, some of the things and fixing and maintenance that a lot of people would say, just call somebody. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do it, you know, but you actually posted some videos, you know, cleaning up your apartment after a bad day. <laughs> Yes, I am. I would love to say I'm a naturally clean person, but I'm not. (laughs) I make clutter. And I think when clutter gets too high, it adds to my stress. So it really helps to alleviate that stress by doing a whole cleanse. I started doing Sunday resets where I go through on a Sunday morning and just like reset my whole apartment, anything that I need to do to get back into it. But I find that cleaning has become, and it's actually funny because as a kid, I hated cleaning. When my mom would tell me to like, you know, sweep my room or clean under the bed or anything, I hated it and I would do anything to procrastinate. But now as an adult, I'm like, oh my God, this is so relaxing, which is weird to say, but it it de-stresses me. (laughs) (laughs) And you went to college, I understand, right? Tell me about that. Yes, I went to, first went to community college and got my associate's degree because I wasn't quite ready to leave the nest. And then after that, I started, I transferred to University of Connecticut. And that's when I started going to UConn. And it was an amazing school. I loved it. I just graduated in de- last December with my bachelor's in human development and family science. Congratulations. Thank that you. is huge. That is huge. Do Do you have any mottos or any phrases, quotes that you like to, you know, use during the day to keep you going? Yeah, absolutely. I think one that I've always lived by is I can and I will. That has always been a personal motto for me because I think as far as motivation and wanting to get stuff done, it boils down to you and how much you want it. So I really find that one helps me a lot. I can, I will. There's also a word that my mom used a lot with me as a kid and she would call me relentless and she didn't always use it in the best manner she was like you are so relentless you know because I would like you know be very hard-headed but I found that I have so much appreciation for that word now she would tell me relentless was my middle name because I never stopped and I think now I look back at it and realize what my mom meant as far as like you know to get to where you're going you can't stop you have to keep going and you have to put up that fright and be relentless mm-hmm. do you feel comfortable telling us about your coming out story Yeah, absolutely. I had a pretty ordinary coming out story as far as from, you know, my peers and what I've heard that identify. I think mine was very natural occurring. I started in high school. Well, actually, middle school was when I started to notice, but I was nowhere near approaching it because I had the kind of idea that, you know, I was going to get married to a woman and do all that. And I also was scared, I think, being disabled because I was like, oh my gosh, like, not only am I disabled, but I'm gay too like you know and I now I look at it as such a positive thing but back then that was scary you know gay marriage wasn't even approved by then you know so I was like my gosh I have another hindrance in my life Mm -hmm. so I was very nervous and I tried denying it and then I think the more I kind of comfortable with myself in high school sophomore year I came out to my best friend first Mm -hmm. and when she had accepted me I was felt a lot more happy and then I came out 
to my mom, I remember she had just finished up work and we had gotten in the car and she asked what I wanted for dinner. And I literally started bawling and I was like crying. I was like, mom, I think I'm gay. And she just looked at me and <laughs> it's so funny because she was like, I know. I was like, and I feel like I've heard that before, but I was like, okay. She's like, I've known for a while and I've waited for you to feel comfortable. And I think that, you know, at first I was shocked. I was like, what? Because, <laughs> you know, she knew before me, I guess. But I think it was so heartwarming to, you know, realize that my mom knew and never pushed me in any direction or asked me, you know, she'd ask me about my girlfriends I made up in high school and all this stuff. And, you know, <laughs> she'd go along with it until I was comfortable. So I think that was such a blessing as far as my coming out story. So we sat down and talked about the rest of the day and it was one of my fondest memories with her oh my goodness she sounds like an incredible woman incredible indeed so have you been dating so dating has been a little tricky as a disabled person and I think that is when I would love to say my confidence is always high but in the dating world it's not I think it's very hard with dating especially the way we date now it's all online I feel like I think it's very hard I just want all the fellas out there to hear this you got a hot babe right here that is an absolute bun bun he, he's ready for you he's waiting for you to just you know give him that swipe right or oh my gosh you have me dying over here I mean god what's not to love here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so dating has been difficult. I did go on a date last a couple months ago, and it was good. It definitely got me out of my comfort zone. Just looking for different things, though, unfortunately. So, you yeah. know, I'm not putting any pressure on anything. I'm just seeing what life takes me. And if someone joins my life and wants more of me, I'll serve it up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, I had on as a guest not that long ago, Gabe Adams Wheatley. And boy, that was a lot of fun hearing about how he and his boyfriend now husband met. And it's, you know, it, it does happen. I mean, I haven't had very much luck myself. So <laughs> I don't know if it has anything to do with anything other than the fact that, you know, sometimes you find somebody who's met for you and, you know, however long and, you know, good things come to those who wait. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I, as far as Gabe Adams, we actually just followed each other on media and he is amazing. I mean, what a guy. It's so inspirational as far as just like, you know, and it's funny, actually, I just found myself using the word inspirational because I think as disabled people, we often kind of, you know, feel weary of that word as far as, you know, we're just living. So he though is a trailblazer. I mean, just wow. As far as the dating scene, I think what I found, and I don't know about you, but I found learning to be happy with myself has been my most important thing. I think like before I'm ready for a relationship, even it's like the comfort of knowing that I'm content sitting in this room by myself with my dog and I'm happy. I love that you mentioned that because I have heard all too often people saying, well, I want to date somebody or I want to meet somebody because I don't want to be alone. And I think that that's kind of the wrong reason why you should date somebody and why you should get involved exactly. with somebody. What you said is exactly right. Loving yourself first, being okay with yourself first, caring for yourself first is where it's at and then attract whoever comes to you because that's when it's going to be the most significant and the best way forward. If you're looking for somebody to complete you or to compensate for everything that you're not, 
Ooh, gets a little bit tricky that way. Yeah, it gets very tough. I think that is such an important mindset to have. I definitely have found that, you know, it's hard to be completely happy with yourself. I have days where I wake up and, you know, sometimes we don't have good days. But I think if you are comfortable in your own skin and, you know, being by yourself without having someone fill that hole or void, that is the most important thing for yourself. And then once you're there, getting into that relationship will be so much easier because you're not looking to have a space filled, but you're looking to have someone stand by your side. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of self-love and self-care, you are a dude who likes his skincare. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yes. Yeah. I have like your, what is your ritual? What kind of products do you use? What do you like? <laughs> yeah. So that again, I, you know, this whole year has been a self-transformative journey for me. I did not care about my skin at all before last year. So this year I started, I suffered through acne a lot and I started using a kind of different products. And now I have a, this is not sponsored by the way, but if you guys want to sponsor me, let me know. <laughs> um, no, but I started using Paula's Choice, which is a, a really good facial cleanser and has a salicylic acid component that I really like. Perfect for my skin. And then I use pharmacy filling serum, which is really amazing. I find that it really moisturizes my skin and gives me that full look. And for I have eye bags, I call them my grocery bags under my eyes. They're not designer. Unfortunately, I wish. Um, And for that, I use a standard brightening cream from Sephora. And then as far as and I think that's it. Yeah. And then at night, I I use, I don't know if you've heard of that, Laneige products. I really like that. I use a water gel mask that you can leave on overnight as well as an eye serum. Great, great products you found for yourself. And your skin is glowing. You absolutely look like you've been able to, you know, get it to a place where you, you know, find it looking as healthy as it feels, which is wonderful. Amazing, amazing. Thank you. Now, my last question for you. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the world, what would that be? Oh, that's tough. If I could do that, I think I would eliminate the stereotypes that we have so heavily infiltrated in our society. And whether it's about your physical appearance or anything, I find that every day I see these stereotypes and how harmful it is, you know, not just to disabled people, but to anyone that suffers that might not look the ideal image. And I think, you know, as far as like being beautiful and stuff like that, if we could just eliminate this idea of level that you have to live up to. You know, it would do so much good for society because I think that at the end of the day, a lot of love generates from self-love and how can we get self-love when we have magazines and ads and, you know, just everything infiltrated in society telling us you have to look like this. You have to be this. Like in the gay community, for example, I find, you know, you asked about dating. It's a little hard because we, for a group of people that have been so ferocious and demanding equality and have fought such a hard battle, we ourselves are really judgmental and have body standards, you know? And I find that if you're not a... (laughs) Yeah, if you're not a six-foot masculine or a twink or whatever have you, you know, the dating pool is very hard. (laughs) 
it is so I definitely would do that as far as like stereotypes just the way we view everyone and you know stuff like that yeah yeah I think that that's beautiful thank you so much for that I agree I agree if we could get rid of stereotypes judgment labels and just live from a place of love wouldn't that be amazing but we're we're not perfect but we're you know we can continue to improve and, and have more understanding have more compassion for our fellow human beings each and every day yeah it'll be a better day than today can you continue on that path i know yeah i think it's so important to do that oh well tim thank you so much i love seeing your dog what's your dog's name oh cambridge his name is cambridge i got oh he's coming yeah there he is i got him last year and so he's such a good boy do you also have a cat i do not have a cat no okay for some reason i thought that you also had a cat but your dog is precious i do i have a cat statue you maybe you've seen it in my videos (laughs) i have a statue of a cat that my mom gave me it's in my laundry room so that you maybe have seen that Okay. Tim Mason, thank you so much for being on the Role Model Show today. It was such a delight to speak with you. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Mm-hmm.